Amen. Today is the last message in the series, It Is Finished. So I guess we can honestly say, it is finished. In about 45 minutes. As I've shared this series and the thoughts that the Holy Spirit has put on my heart, and I want to keep accentuating that what Jesus said on the cross at the time of his death was extremely meaningful. He was not letting the people know, this is my curtain call, it is finished. He was putting a period at the end of God's statement in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis, the beginning of chapter 3, we see the fall of humanity. And little did Adam and Eve ever imagine the consequences, the devastation, the inhumanity to humanity that would follow because of what they had unleashed. And in the garden, God said something that could seem so inconspicuous, and yet it was soon going to become world-changing. He looked at that serpent, the deceiver, the beguiler, the one who hates every human being. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God looked at that serpent and he said, it's true, your seed, your kind, your like, you and your demons will nip at the heels of humanity and you will bruise them and you will wound them. But I am sending the seed that will come from a woman and he will crush the head of your government. He will disarm and disable your kingdom and he will bring a devastating blow to you and redemption to everyone who will believe on him. Amen. Absolutely. And so when Jesus said it is finished, he came for that sole purpose. John the apostle, the beloved of Jesus the disciple that Jesus, while he was on the cross, turned to and said, look after my mother and let her be your mom. And biblical history tells us that as John later in years left Jerusalem and Israel, uh, he took Jesus' mom and she spent the rest of her life and saw her life out under the care of the apostle John. And in one of John's letters, he writes these words, For this reason was the Son of God made manifest. This is why Jesus came. I'm breaking it down in a, a straight English. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest. For this reason, Jesus came. And then John, in his language, continues to write and says, To destroy the works of the evil one. And in street language, that means to put an end to every insidious attack, any demon and every demon and the kingdom of darkness has ever had towards you and to break the finger of every curse that has ever been pointed at you so that you could be set free and humanity can become the sons of God once again. Hallelujah. I like the street version of what I just said. You know, sometimes we don't always understand the Bible the way it is written. Not that we ever want to add to it or take away from it, but when we understand the principles of God's Word, we get an accurate picture. And John said, this is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the evil one. He came because the Father made a prophecy in the Garden of, uh, uh, of Eden, and he declared, yes, 
Satan and, and his kind will nip at the heels of humanity. How many of you have ever been nipped at? How many of you have ever been bitten? How many of you have ever been beat up? You don't have to put your hand up next, but how many of you are still tied down by some kind of demonic entity? And God said, yeah, yeah, you won this round. And you will win a number of rounds after that. And your demons and your kind will nip at the heels of humanity. They will even nip at the promised seed of the woman. But I am sending a seed who will contend with you. And he will not only disarm you and break your power and, and demolish the strength and the organization of your kingdom. But he will set the captives free. And hence, John said, this is why Jesus was made manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. He came to break up Satan's reign. He came to uh, destroy the stranglehold that demons had on humanity. And so when Jesus was there on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. It was a scream, it was a yell, it was a triumphant statement in the midst of his death that had more reverberation than when a William Wallace screamed, Freedom! There's never been a freedom and a sound of victory and deliverance like when Jesus shouted, It is finished! It was a victorious statement. It was an exclamation of triumph. The Son of God has come, and with his heel, he has crushed the head of the kingdom of darkness. Now, if you believe that and you're excited, come on, give the Lord some. I've been sharing in this series how Jesus shed his blood the seven different places of his, on his body, from the road, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the time he was on the cross. And every place that his body was pierced and blood was shed, it was shed to break a specific curse that came into being at the fall of Adam and Eve and all of humanity. And today, we're on the seventh place that Jesus shed his blood, the seventh and final place. And I'm excited to share this with you and share with you the, this hidden message. How many of you know there are hidden messages in God's word? Hey, there are a lot of, I, I, I love reading the book. You know, when I was a little kid, I loved getting a box of Cracker Jacks because there was a gift inside. Okay, I could see a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just dated myself. And when I was a kid, you know, uh, you see the ads on TV, and depending on what cornflake company or cereal company, what toy they were advertising in the cornflakes box, that's what I would want that week. And I'd be tugging on mom's skirt. Mommy, mommy, get this one, get this one. And... Uh, I don't know, she started reading the book, something about nutritional value. I don't know what, where her head was. For those of you who are a little bit younger, you're not getting everything I'm saying. A happy meal at McDonald's 
always came with a little toy. And the, these were the things that, you know, you, you look forward to even more than the meal itself. Am I talking to anybody? Yeah, absolutely. But I love reading the Word of God because there are hidden gems, hidden gifts, hidden prizes inside of this book. And that's why I love devouring it. I've been at this here uh, for, I've been preaching full-time well over 40 years. And I still haven't gotten my full. And every time I dig my shovel of enthusiasm and expectation into the Word of God, out pops stuff I've never seen before. It's amazing that you can dig and dig in this book and you will never exhaust it. It's the well that will not run dry. How many of you have found that to be the truth? <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. My title this morning is, is Side by Side Forever. The seventh and final place that Jesus shed his blood was from his side. When they pierced him with that spear, that Roman spear was thrust up into him and into his side. John chapter 19, verse 34, just so that you really know it is in the Bible. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. I want you to hold that thought in your mind. The spear was thrust in his side and out of the side came blood. I've pointed out to you that blood was shed on different parts of his anatomy and they broke specific curses. Like the curse of infirmity and incurable diseases and sickness by the whipping and the lashings that Jesus received, Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, by his lashings, by the whip marks on his back, by the blood that oozed out of those wounds, that blood has healed us and we are already healed. Can I get an amen? It's finished. You see, I don't fight a fight. I don't worry about tomorrow. It's finished. I keep standing on the cross. I keep standing on the victory. I keep standing on the fact that Jesus came and fought the battle for me. And when the devil tries to intimidate me and fill me with fear, and when the devil tells me uh, that he's got me cornered, I remind him it's finished. And last I looked, devil, you were under his feet and still are in Jesus' name. Amen. The seventh place that Jesus shed his blood was in his side. These Roman centurions, as they nailed his hands, they nailed his feet as they put a mock crown on his head. They didn't realize, they didn't understand, but in, in an in a unusual way, there were instruments in God's hand. While they were instruments of torture and torment, they were instruments that released the blood that redeems. And every curse was washed over with the blood of Jesus so that you and I could be redeemed from it. Now I'm going to develop what it means in just a moment that he was pierced in his side. But I want to, I want to lay a foundation for first and I want to build some understanding first. So stay with me. Are you with me, church? Yes. 
Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. I want to show you that God builds with building blocks. God builds with building blocks. He really does. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, and this is going to seem a little bit irrelevant at first, but stay with me. I want to show you how God builds. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. And then he hyphens it, and he explains seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And so on the earth, we have plants that produce crops, and we have trees that produce orchards. In Genesis 1, verse 21, So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, each according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so in the sea, we see the sea produces schools. It produces pods. The birds of the air produce flocks. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, and the creatures that move on the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And so it was. And so the land produces herds, it produces colonies, swarms, it, it produces packs of animals. And these are general terms used for describing different kinds of groups of animals. But then in Genesis 1, 26, 27, God made something very unique. And for the very first time, he introduces this next step of creation. And he says, we're going to create this creature in our image. And so in Genesis uh, chapter uh, <clears throat> 1, 26 to 27, God said, let us make mankind in our image. People often wonder, what's my destiny? What's my purpose? I want you to look at the person next to you right now. Come on. Whether you know them or not, whether they think you're wonderfully handsome or not, look at that person and say, God's intention for me is that I would be a reflection of how awesome he is. Now continue to say this. It is God's destiny. For me, for me to be. Totally awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You see you can't get past the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And not realize God is crazy about you. I don't know why religion keeps conjuring up an evil spirit that they call God and he's always angry and mean towards humanity. The God of heaven, the God of creation, 
is a God who loves us and has a purpose for us. And that purpose is that we would be blessed as he is blessed and that we would be a reflection of his awesomeness. Now, turn to the person you were looking at. And I want them to say to you, no, that's what he did for me. I think we've covered everybody. God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, the creation of gender, male and female, is a basic component for creating building blocks of various kinds. Amen. From the plants to the trees, from the birds to the sea creatures, to the herds, to uh, the things that crawl along the ground, he gave gender because in gender, there are building blocks to create and to establish. The creation of gender, male and female, is a basic component for creating building blocks of various kind. A man and a woman was created to form the building blocks of humanity. And so you have a flock of geese and you have a pod of dolphins and you have a herd of elephants. But humanity, mankind, society was created. God created each individual to create a society. In Genesis chapter 2, watch this. Verse 18 and then we're going to jump to verse 21 and go down to 24. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he, God, took one of the man's ribs and closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. You, you, you know how the term woman came into existence, don't you? When Adam first rose from the anesthesia that God had put him under, he looked at Eve and said, whoa, man. That was always meant to be the reaction. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called, whoa, man. For she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You see, the concept of a man and a woman leaving and cleaving 
is for the, the sake of creating families, which are the building blocks, uh, uh, which are the building blocks of creating families, and families create society. You see, a husband leaves his mom and dad, and a woman leaves her parents because now a new family is going to be created. And family by family by family, as we build our own little subcultures, we have a society. God uses building blocks to build. He created giraffes according to their kind. And a giraffe cannot intermingle with a herd of donkeys. They wouldn't know whether to have a long neck or a short neck. And uh, each produced after its own kind and replenished and filled the earth. The same with the life in the ocean. And the birds, each type, reproduced after its kind. The trees, the plant life, reproduce after their kind. You know, this tells me that God was instrumental in writing the DNA in each seed-bearing instrument so that it would reproduce after its kind. Are you hearing me? These are divine laws. You cannot break those laws. An elephant has never mated with a rhinoceros and, and, and brought into being a short uh, trunked elephant with a pointy tip. I mean, it just doesn't happen. The God of the heavens is a genius, and he is not only concerned with genealogies, but he is the one who has written and coded every DNA. And so he created a man and he created a woman so that they could reproduce. And he said, now leave your mom and your father, both of you, and cleave to each other because we're going to build another building block. And every time a man and a woman come together and they leave their respective families, another building block is put into place to create civilization or society, groups of people. We have cultures and we have subcultures. Every family has its own subculture. And God designed it this way. But I want you to notice something that God opened Adam's flesh on his side. He cut through the fabric of flesh and from his side he took a bone and he created a woman. Do you know that when Adam and Eve were seduced to sin, the enemy came after Adam and Eve personally. Uh, let, let me establish this. God is a God of order. Everybody repeat after me. God is a God of order. Everything about God is organized and orderly. Order is the environment that creates peace. When everything is where it's supposed to be and everything's flowing the way it should flow, there is peace. Uh, order is the environment that creates peace. Now, Satan is a fallen angel, a created being who broke God's divine order. And when he broke God's divine order, he became cursed with the curse of disorder. Disorder is the environment that creates confusion. 
Disorder is the environment that creates confusion, and with confusion comes a loss of a sense of direction, and with a loss of a sense of direction, ultimately comes despair. You see, the devil in his rebellion against God's divine order became cursed with the very thing he rebelled against. He, he became the product of disorder. And everywhere he goes, confusion follows. And when there's confusion in our lives, there's a spirit of darkness spitting uh, vile words into our imagination and stirring our emotions so that we get to a place of despair. But God is always a God of order, and where there is order, there is always peace. Come on, somebody agree with me this morning. You see, when the devil led Adam and Eve to disagree with God, they immediately started to disagree with each other. There is no record of one marital argument in the garden until Adam and Eve came out of agreement with God. And you say, well, where did they disagree with each other? It's easy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, as God was facing off with each and every one of them, because we are individually accountable to God. In verse 12... When God got to Adam, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, if you don't think that led to the first marriage argument, then I could confidently say, you've never been married. You see, Satan tries to disrupt God's divine order. He tries to disrupt the order of gender and gender affection. Why? Because he's filled with disorder. And disorder will bring disorientation. It'll bring confusion. And when we are disorientated, we lose sight of where we're going and where we're meant to be. And when we lose sight of where we're going and where we're meant to be, we're filled with despair. And when we're filled with despair, we're filled with hopelessness. That lines up with the fact that Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Hello, can you see the progression? This is the nature of demonic entities. And you can quote science all you want. But I'm going to quote the spirit, all I want, demons exist and they are real and they hate human beings. They are here to destroy and to disrupt and to dismantle because their environment and their culture is a culture of disorder. Everywhere they manifest themselves, you see things being dismantled. Marriages get dismantled. Families get dismantled. Society gets dismantled. Isn't it interesting that the more and more we see the breakdown of the union or marriage between a man and a woman, and the more and more we feel the sting of demons nipping at our heels, and we have broken marriages and kids from this relationship and from that relationship, the more that has progressed, the more we are seeing the dismantling of our civilization. 
Now, I'm not here to lay blame anywhere other than at the, the enemy. We've, we've had our heels bit, but God had building blocks, and he created each according to their kind, and he created them in genders so that as they come together, they were meant to complement each other and continue the process of building. But the devil is dismantling this generation. The devil is dismantling families. The devil is bringing disorder and disorientation. And we got kids today that are being preached at in our schools and they don't know who they are anymore. And they're being taught it's hip and it's cool to be anything you want to be. But they forgot the old song that says a rose by any other name is still a rose. So Satan tries to disrupt the order of gender and gender affection. But he also tries to disrupt the order of the union of a husband and a wife. And he does that so that he could continue to disrupt the order of families and ultimately the order of society. When that Roman soldier pushed his spear up into Jesus' side. When those Roman soldiers held him down and drove those nails, those stakes through his hands and his feet, when the demons lunged behind each thrust of that hammer, demons didn't understand that they were activating God's plan of salvation. Those Roman soldiers didn't know that they were spilling the blood on the very things that had them cursed and Jesus was shedding his blood to set them free as well. In fact, the apostle Paul says in Corinthians, he said, if the principalities of this age had known, if they had understood, if in their warped decrepit imaginations filled with self-centeredness and selfishness and envy and hate, not being able to conceive of a love so grandiose, the kind of love that God shows, if they hadn't known, they never would have crucified this Christ because in crucifying him, they opened the front door and the back door of the kingdom of darkness so that the captives could escape, prisoners could be set free, and people could be returned into the image of the first Adam before the fall. The last Adam came to restore us back to a place of dignity. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, came and he allowed his heel to be bruised so that you and I could be set free from the tyranny of darkness and stand up and become sons of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible reads better than any superhero comic book. I think every comic writer who writes about a hero borrowed some theme here or there from the word of God in the first place. Because there was never a greater hero and a greater plan of a savior to save the world than God's plan to send Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give me something today.
<laughs> when that Roman soldier pushed that, pushed that spear into Jesus' side, he didn't know that God was using him to release the blood of Jesus to break the curse that comes on many marriages and the disruption that comes into our families. Now I'm going to get personal with you. You see, this morning, I'm wearing a black wedding ring. And the only reason why I'm wearing a black wedding ring is because a friend of mine was gracious enough to give me an early Christmas present and took me fishing yesterday, deep sea, out at sea, a couple hours out. So I took off my silver ring with, uh, you know, the couple of little diamonds in it, and I put it in a safe place because that's a sign of something that is very precious to me. And I put it in such a safe place that even I don't remember where it is. <laughs> so one of two things are gonna happen when I go home. We're either gonna have a marital dispute or we're gonna have marital bliss because the Holy Ghost is gonna help me find it. I, I put on a black wedding ring but this is not symbolic of the ring of death, okay? So it happens to be black. But you see, people think that pastors are different creatures than everybody else. No, he's just the bigger sheep that takes the rest of the sheep out to pasture. And we want to see in our pastors what we really should be looking for in Jesus. We want perfection. Now, I appreciate the fact that the crowds have been building every week, and I ask you to keep coming back, but let me tell you right now so that we don't get started on the wrong foot, if you're looking for a perfect man, you haven't found him in me. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you haven't found it here. And the first proof that I offer as evidence that it's not a perfect church is that you're in it. And the second is, I'm the pastor. <laughs> and the Bible says, Paul wrote himself, God chooses the foolish things, the weak things, the most unlikely things to confound the world. And so while you're still scratching your head and wondering, how did this guy ever make it to be a pastor? That's the mystery of God. <laughs> but people want pastors to be more than human. We want pastors who will believe in us when we're hurting. We want pastors who will be tender when we have failed and uh, disgraced ourselves. We want to be able to go to a pastor and share our deepest secret, even at times maybe secrets of infidelity. And we want and we trust that it'll be treated with an honor and with a respect and a confidentiality. And rather than being beaten up, we will be cleaned up so that we can stand up. And so when we come into the ministry, this is one of the things that we know we're going to be doing. We're going to be dealing with people often at their most vulnerable times and their most broken places. And we'll unfortunately at times uh, see people in their ugliest place and sometimes their deepest secrets. 
will be revealed. And that's why religion as religion doesn't cut the mustard and being a pastor as a profession doesn't do anybody any good. Jesus was constantly moved with compassion. And then he put his hands out and he healed people. He saw their pain, the pain of their conditions. He saw their agony. And out of compassion, not out of, hey, I'm a great evangelist. Hey, let me prove I'm Yeshua. No, he didn't heal one person to prove that he was the Messiah. Every person he healed, he healed because he felt the brokenness of their heart. And he felt broken with them as well. He never healed a person to prove anything other than that he loves you. And so then as shepherds, we're called to do the same. And sometimes in the process of loving a lot of hurting and broken people, people don't realize that while we're trying to heal others and minister to others, there's brokenness inside of us too. You see, I have uh, a great wife. And uh, for many years, we were very successful, especially in this church. God gave me some revelation, and we saw a lot of marriages restored people on the verge of divorce and people that they just weren't going to make it. And we've seen amazing miracles in that arena. And yet in our own lives, we struggled with our own marriage. I told you I'm going to get very real today. Well, I'm always very real, so it's just flowing out like it always does. Don't put me on a pedestal because as soon as you can put me on a pedestal, there's ground for someone to knock me off. And when you get knocked off a pedestal, it hurts the one who got knocked off and it hurts everyone else around. And so sometimes people don't realize that we're not the Christ, we represent the Christ. And, and so sometimes while we're healing others, we're still busy healing our own wounds. And so my wife, Didi, and I, while we loved each other and cared for each other, we had a, a marriage that was, it, it didn't work well. And for over 30 years, we struggled at it, and yet we were seeing other marriages restored and other marriages healed. And we saw a heap of phenomenal miracles. But then the preacher would get into the pulpit and the pastor's wife would lay her head down at night on the pillow and both would shed tears inwardly and outwardly and say, God, you use us and you do it for so many others. Heal us as well. I remember there was a time in the midst of all the difficulty and the struggle that I had asked uh, my kids, do, do you think we're hypocrites because we try to help other people with their marriages. And I was so thrilled that my own kids, they said, no, we don't see you as a hypocrite. Even in the midst of your own pain, you're trying to heal other people of their pain. And I thank God that they saw it that way. But the devil comes to destroy marriages. He comes to hurt the value of a man and the preciousness of a woman. There isn't one creature, one created being that the devil doesn't despise. 
And so we enter into this agreement called marriage with the greatest of hopes and the, the most grandiose of dreams, not realizing that that's the most vulnerable place and that's the place where the serpent will try to nip at our heels. You don't have to put your hand up, but anybody know what I'm talking about? At least point to somebody that you think knows I'm, what I'm talking about. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't point to the person next to you, especially if that's the person you're married to. <laughs> and so for years, we successfully ran a church, got people saved. Uh, hey, listen, for years, I've laid my hands on people and seen them get sick and then sometimes struggled with a cold or struggled with my own disease. Uh, I had Crohn's disease, an incurable disease. I didn't get healed overnight. I had to keep pressing in and pushing. Uh, this was back in Australia. My doctor told me it was going to take my life out because I had such a, an acute case of Crohn's disease. I've had several incurable diseases, and here I am laying hands on the sick, and they're getting healed, and at home I'm fighting for my own healing. That doesn't make you a, crypt, a, a, a hypocrite. That makes you a determined person. Hello? Absolutely. And so we were preaching what we knew was the truth and we were preaching the hope that would set others free. And thank God we saw many, many miracles from marriages to families being restored to people being healed. And yet in our own selves, there was this constant struggle and we weren't too prideful to go get counseling. I think I, I, I counted at one point over uh, 21 counselors that throughout our marriage we had sought help from in one way or another. In the early part of my marriage, I'd often go away and pray and fast and say, God, whether it's her, whether it's me, uh, there's one person here that it really centers around and it's you and we need you to help us. It got to a point we were in the middle of revival. We were seeing tremendous move of God. Amazing healings were taking place. And every week, it was like 5, 7, 9, 10, 12, 15 people getting saved every week. But the, the craziness in our own marriage wasn't going away. And if anything, the enemy was using the weakest link in both of us to just make things worse. It got to a point where we had to separate just to stay sane, both of us. And so many of you are newer to the church, and I can keep this my own little secret, but I want you to understand that most of us are like the rest of us. And I want you to understand that there is victory in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that there isn't a devil big enough that doesn't fit under Jesus' foot. And he doesn't need both feet. He only needs one foot. Amen. And so uh, we had become separated and uh, we brought the news to the church. And at first, you know, people got around us and said, look, we believe in you. Uh, but that belief was somewhat short-lived and a few people misguided and driven by the wrong spirit, even people we helped and 
helped in their marriage, went around putting out words that would cause people to leave the church and sow discord and distrust. And uh, the shepherd needed sheep to come around. You know, in the very wool of a sheep is a product that is naturally produced and it's called lanolin. And lanolin is great for healing wounds on the hand and making the rough places smooth again. And so the shepherd needs sheep too. Sometimes the sheep help heal the shepherd. Are you hearing me, church? But you see, these are building blocks and the devil wants to bring discord. And one of his great tools is gossip and criticism. And so he will put stuff in our ear by somebody who's good friends with him and gossip and criticism will make its way down into our emotions and then we become judgmental. And when the first thing I learned when we came public about our own situation was that people saw our lives as a perfect picture. And now that they found out that there was actually a flaw in the picture all along, they didn't want the picture anymore. Unless the picture could be perfect. And sometimes people want our marriage to be perfect so that they can hide behind that. And so my kids got more and more hurt as people said harsh things, bad things. It led to, in part, it led to all of my kids being dramatically hurt, all of our kids being dramatically hurt. And two, which in a more obvious way, backslid and walked away from the Lord. We were separated for seven years. Seven years we were separated. See, I'm talking about miracles, not a 30-day wonder. Seven years. Well, what people didn't know was that we struggled for over 30 years prior to that. And so we were separated for seven years, and yet we were both torn deep down in our hearts because we know that marriages are a building block. Now, for those of you that are here and you have a second marriage and you've been through a divorce, this is not to bring condemnation. This is to speak hope into your existing situation and tell you that whatever you face, there is a God who brings victory and there is a God who brings healing. Amen. We're not here to preach condemnation or to put people under our feet. The only people meant to be under our feet are demons. Can I get an agreement? Sometimes the church needs to remember that. We're not here to throw sticks and stones or worse yet say words that have been said will never harm us, and yet they do. We're here to heal each other. And uh, through that seven years, uh, you know, we, we never got divorced, never totally gave up, but just it just was not working. It was an impossibility, an absolute impossibility. And then at the completion of seven years and the beginning of an eighth year, new beginnings. The beginning of 40 years of marriage, we had come out of our wilderness and somehow, by the love of God and by the grace of God and by the power of Jesus' name, the two of us were able to start working out our differences. And over a period of 12 months, we finally agreed 
that we actually do love each other. Yeah. Amen. And, and, and today, today, uh, you know, we've been together now for 12 months and we've never been happier. The relationship has never been better. In fact, we look at each other and say, why did we separate? <laughs> no, we remember why we separated. But you see, the devil comes to bring disunity where God wants to create the greatest unity. And at the point of greatest unity, there's the point of greatest tenderness and vulnerability. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't love somebody well unless you're vulnerable to them. If you don't become, if you're not exposed to the point, there are a lot more ways of being exposed than just taking off your clothes. If you're not exposed to the point where you're vulnerable, you never really became one yet. The two emotional surfaces have got to get so close that they actually rub up against each other. And the emotional being of your wife or your husband needs to touch up and rub up against your emotional being. And so that's the place of the greatest vulnerability, but it's also the place where the enemy sees the potential for hurt and pain and destruction. And for seven years, I continued pastoring this church and those that remained in the church, I thank you and I salute you for loving us and standing with us and for not judging us. And for seven years, broken on the inside, I kept preaching a message of healing for everybody on the outside. And the God of breakthroughs came and broke through our own situation and brought a healing. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. As we started to come back together, uh, I know I've asked my daughter once before if I could share it, but I know Amy, Pastor Amy, was devastated at the responses of some people. And while she's nursing the brokenness and the wound of her own mom and dad and the terror that it creates in kids' hearts, Amber, in her own way, backslid, and she came back and to, to Christ and full on in the church. And my son, Robbie, the youngest, had also uh, walked away totally from God and disavowed himself of anything he knew regarding Christianity. And I asked him if he'd share just a short video. And so my son, the same one who, uh, on Father's Day, made a short video and uh, gave me some Father's Day appreciation in front of all of you, is going to, for a moment, share his personal journey. But I want you to understand that the same devil who comes to divide marriages and cause our sons and daughters to walk away from God is the same devil who's under Jesus' feet, and we have every right to say, devil, it is finished. Amen. 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 Thank you. We're going to dim the lights and let Robbie share his story. I grew up in the church, so much so that uh, I think by the age of two weeks old, mom and dad had me in church from that point forward. And uh, I just had a passionate love for God. I grew up with that and wanted to serve him like my parents served him. I had started many churches in Australia and we eventually moved here to America. And at our very first service in Tampa, 
I was running, you remember those old school overhead projectors with the transparencies? I was running that and then by the age of 14, I was running the whole audio video department. By 16, I was a youth leader, even to my peers, while also serving as a musician. And at 20 years old, I became full-time staff at the church. Between burning myself out and bottling up lots of pain and rejection and hurt from others, it led to a lot of emotional disconnect. And that, in turn, led to a lot of questioning, specifically about God. And while I never wanted to disbelieve in God or be angry with God because of emotional reasons, I started to observe at the time 2 plus 2 wasn't adding up to 4. And so after a lot of internal struggles and, and questioning, I made the decision that until it does add up to 4, God, you're not real. Uh, despite that season of where I was at, I continued to pray and I said, God, I want to believe in you, but I don't want just an emotional relationship with you. If you're real, I want you to reveal yourself to me because I want to know that I know that you exist. And so over the next about eight years or so, I started to try to fill that void left by rejection and insecurity, try to fill it with girls, pornography, and even just finding value in myself through my own efforts and abilities. But, um, but it was early 2020, like January, February, when I was living in New York City and despite all my efforts, the self-worthlessness, the rejection, the failure, the insecurity just built up to um, an unmanageable breaking point, really. And that led to me trying to figure out which train line, which train station, and even which train platform was going to be the most effective at ending it all. And despite in that season not having that personal relationship with God any longer, I know now that without a shadow of a doubt that He was there helping to guide me through that season of severe depression as He spoke to me and helped me to remember the devastation that I know I would have left behind to my family. So over the next eight months or so, I started to make some drastic changes and started to really live with greater purpose and intentionality. It was about a year later, March 15th, 2021, when I still wasn't a Christian, but I had decided to take a trip out to San Diego to visit a friend of mine. And um, when I landed, he texted me, he said, hey, meet me here. What I didn't know was here was his local church where he was serving that night. He couldn't pick me up. So I Ubered over here and within an hour, I started to realize that I think God is setting me up and starting to answer that prayer that I had said many years ago, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And he was doing that. And over the next 14 days, he continued to do that and made it very, very, very apparent. So much so there was one time where I was here and, and, and God kept bringing to my memory a prophecy, a prayer that someone had prayed over me about 10 plus years ago. And in that prayer, she said, I will take you from this house to the house of a brother. And as God was reminding me of that prophecy, I felt like he was saying that this house, Awaken Church, was that house. And that brother was Pastor Jurgen, our pastor here. And even down to the smallest details, man, God is just so faithful. Uh, I learned that Pastor Jurgen was from Australia as well. So he's another brother from down under. Two weeks later, I, I went home. I was living in Tampa at the time and grabbed lunch with my parents to kind of fill them in on how my trip went. And I shared with them all the things that God started to do 
while I was here. And even though it seemed impulsive on the outside, I knew that I made a decision to move to San Diego, but I did that very slowly in that two-week period and really tested it. To my surprise, uh, my dad turned to me and he said, I know, uh, while you were in San Diego, God told me multiple times that you were going to come back and tell us you were moving to San Diego. As if I didn't need the confirmation, I had it. Uh, that was it. So about 45 days later, it was May 9th, uh, Mother's Day, Sunday, I packed up two bags, jumped on a plane, and I flew out here to start a new life. And I knew I wasn't going to attend church because I was living in San Diego, but I was living in San Diego to reconnect with God and attend Awakened Church. I, I didn't rededicate my life straight away. I continued to pray, all right, God, I'm taking these steps of faith but I just want to know that I know. You just got to make it super apparent that you're real. I want to make this decision one last time. And, and that took about five months, but he continued to do things. He continued to tick things off that I wasn't really praying for, but I was thinking about. And he just kept meeting needs where I needed them. And uh, October 10th, I made the decision. God did a couple things that day at Sunday morning service and ticked off about three different things that I struggled with that week. And I made the final decision. I said, God, all right, I need to take one last big step of faith. And I'm going to put all my trust in you. You've, you've been faithful for the past five, six months. And uh, I'm going to take that one last step. And I made the decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus again and rededicate my life to him. Since then, it has been like being strapped to a rocket ship. It's probably the best way I can put it. It's just been a fast-paced ride, a lot of things changing. God lifting mindsets, shifting things in my world, in my life, taking off the burden of rejection and insecurity, and just bringing value back to who I am, not because of what I could do, uh, my abilities, my efforts, my talents, or anything like that, but the knowledge of just knowing who I am and the value he put on me just because he loves me, because he loves us. It doesn't mean I'm without struggles. I still have things that I go through, but the beautiful thing now is that I'm not fighting those battles alone. Uh, in fact, those battles, he's already won. He's with me, and I just have to walk in those victories that he took at the cross. God's grace and his goodness is only matched by his very true and real love for us. And so I encourage you, if you're watching this and you don't have a relationship with God, just like what I did, be open, be authentic. Say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And remember, nothing that you've done is too big or too great to separate you from his love. That act that he did, that sacrifice 2,000 years ago, was more than enough. If he could do it for me, he can do it for you. He loves you, he cares about you. It's, again, mind-blowing, doesn't make sense, but his love for you is unconditional, but you have to reach out to him. After seven years, in a period of 18 months, we watched God totally restore our family. God is a God of restoration. And he's a God who understands pain and he, un he understands hurt. The Bible says that we have a high priest who went through everything we go through. And when we are hurting, 
And when we're crying out of agony inside, he understands. We have a high priest who can relate to us and identify with us. And by the way, I, I just want my wife to stand. Uh, Didi, if you would stand for a moment. Uh, and I want to tell you that things have never been better. Uh, and I thank God for what he's been doing. Amen. You know, sometimes we're so embarrassed about having difficulty in our marriage and in our relationships. But you need to know that because it is the most critical building block to society, the enemy will take a sledgehammer and go away at it and, and, and try to destroy it. And there are keys in God's word as to how to make a marriage work. And the keys are based on how does a man work and how does a woman work. We make jokes about, you know, you'll never understand a woman. And... Uh, or that it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind, and she always takes it, you know. And we joke about these things, and uh, that men are so weird to the women, and women are just incomprehensible to any male living being. And yet, God knows how to make the differences come together, and he knows how to make them work. This is a God who raised himself from the dead. And all of hell couldn't hold him down. So there isn't anything in hell that can defeat you because God is on your side. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Would you stand with me? As we come to a close to this morning's message, there's so much I could share in terms of keys or principles regarding marriage, things that are so pertinent to who a man is and what makes a man feel loved and not loved and who a woman is and what makes her feel loved or not loved. And uh, <clears throat> there's such a thing as gender love language. We've probably all heard about the five love languages and we all have a different love language that we want to be loved in. But there's also a thing called gender love language. And men uh, interpret love more than anything by feeling respected and trusted. And women interpret love more than anything by feeling safe and protected. Now when a guy hears, oh, my wife will feel loved if she's protected. We think about bringing home an income and having a roof over her head or knocking the snot out of somebody if they uh, speak to her the wrong way. And yet a woman sees love or feeling protected by being understood mentally and accepting the differences in her without trying to fix her or change her or tell her how illogical she is. She wants to feel safe mentally. She wants to feel safe emotionally. She wants to feel safe sexually. And everything that speaks safety to a guy isn't how a woman wants to be made safe primarily. And men, I want to tell you right now that the number one thing that a woman who is born again feels protected in is that when her husband takes the lead in the spiritual walk and in the home, he becomes the priest. 
And when men rise up and step into their, the divine order of their godly position, it's amazing how harmony and order will flow down from the head down. Amen. It makes a difference. Your son might be backslidden. Your daughter might be backslidden. Your children might be far, far away. I got up in that pulpit and preached every Sunday about faith and hope and how God can set you free. For seven years, I fought my own demons and my own battles and saw the pain in my own family. But I never stopped telling you how good God is because while my circumstances might be what they are, it doesn't change the circumstances of who God is. God is a good God. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. Amen. And as I continued holding to the faith, even in a broken state, the God of wholeness came and he visited my whole household. And in my case, I can say, me and my whole household have been saved. Not just we've come to Christ, but he has been saving us of the wounds and the hurts and the bruises that have been inflicted on us over time by demonic forces, sometimes using people, sometimes even using our own foolish decisions. Jesus shed his blood to break every curse known to humanity. In a moment, we're going to make a call, and anyone and everyone, and I, you know, just for the sheer heck of it, I would recommend every married person coming out the front. Uh, and if I, as the senior pastor, could open up and be this honest and transparent, uh, then for a moment, in this regard anyway, let me be like the Apostle Paul and say, be imitators of me. Pride has never gotten me anything. In fact, it has stopped me. And hindered me more than anything. Uh, but when we're open and sincere, we leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. But in a moment, whether you're believing for your son to come back to the Lord, your daughter to come back to the Lord, or you just want your marriage blessed, in a moment I'm going to ask you to come out the front. Right now I'm going to ask some of my prayer team to come and stand, make a line this way facing the congregation. If uh, Pastor Tom and Donna would come, Pastor Jam would come, all the pastors, if all the pastors and their wives would come, uh, Danielle and Amber with the young adults and uh, just face the congregation. As I close, the most important component of all of this is to throw religion out the door and ask Jesus Christ in your heart. Religion won't do anything more than make you religious. And religious people are a pain in the butt. Religion isn't the answer. Having a relationship with Jesus is the answer. And I don't care if you got membership in 10 churches, that doesn't make you fireproof. 
I don't care if you've been an altar boy or, you know, it doesn't matter what church you've gone to. The question is, you could come here and it won't change you. The question is, have you allowed Jesus Christ to come into your heart? I could sit and counsel with you for 12 months, but unless you ask Jesus Christ in your heart and you want a relationship with him, nothing will change. Nothing will change. Jesus said that you must be born again. Born again Christians isn't a brand or a type of Christianity. I hear people tell me all the time, I hear this often. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. Really? Before the term Christian was used, in fact, Jesus never coined the phrase Christian. Jesus did coin the phrase, you must be born again. See, religion makes us a Christian. I was born in America, and uh, I go to a building that has a cross on it. I'm a Christian. I'm not an atheist. I'm not a, a Muslim. I'm a Christian. No, that's religion. A relationship with Jesus is totally different. That's where you come face to face with the creator of the universe. In fact, to come face to face with the creator of the universe, you got to come face to face with yourself and be honest. Because when we lie, the first person we lie to and the first person we steal from is ourselves. But when we're honest, when we're real, when we're sincere, when we say it like it really is, when we take accountability, that's the key that opens the door to an encounter with God. And until we stop pointing fingers and take accountability and say, I need to change, I need Jesus Christ in my life, you're only going to have religion. And religion doesn't give you anything else but a bad name. But a relationship with Jesus will give you a new character, a new heart. So with every eye closed right now, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going to church. Do you have a relationship? Have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? When you do, the Bible says that Jesus immediately welcomes us. It doesn't matter how messed up you are, how bad you've been, what you've done wrong. God loves sinners, of which I am one of them. So right now, before we do anything else, you're here, and the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart. You want to ask Jesus in your heart. Maybe you don't even understand it, even though I've said it, but something's pulling inside of you. Believe me, trust me, take it from me. That pulling inside of you, that stirring inside you right now, all of a sudden you feel like, there, man, there's people inside me and they're moving around. That's the Spirit of God reaching out to you. Raise your hand right now and say, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart today. I want to accept Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Did your hand go up too, ma'am? Both? All right. God bless you. Who else wants to accept Jesus as their Lord today? Ten people, nine people raised their hand last week. That was awesome. Nine people. 
We're not after numbers. We're after individuals who need a breakthrough with God. Anyone else? Quickly, before you leave here today, say yes to Jesus Christ. Amen. Awesome. Come on, put your hands together for those that have raised their hand. That is awesome. Amen. I'm going to open this altar. I would encourage every family to come out the front and be blessed and get a blessing. But especially if, and not only if, but if you are struggling uh, in marriage and you just need God to touch your marriage, most of us are like the rest of us. And if the pastor needs it, then we probably need it too. If you need your son, you want your son or your daughter to come back to Jesus Christ, come on out the front. We're going to close this service, but the prayer line's not closed. So if you want to respond right now, come on down and let these folk pray with you and pray for you. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction as you're coming. Come on, as you're coming. And those who raise their hand to ask Christ into your heart, I'd love to pray with you. Uh, come talk to me. Please come see me straight after the service. I'm going to keep myself aside just for you. I'd like to talk to those that are asking Jesus into their heart. And I want to pray that prayer with you. Father, I pray your blessing right now over this congregation, every man, every woman. And I thank you that the powers of darkness... They have been dealt with at the cross. And we take our stance and we stand on the blood and the name of Jesus Christ. And we come into agreement that every chain is broken and every stronghold is defeated. And I thank you, God, that where life is impossible and where life is nothing but a brick wall that we keep hitting our head on, I thank you, God, that you're the God of answers and you're the God of healing and you're the God of deliverance. I thank you, Jesus. You paid the price so that we don't have to keep paying the price. We thank you for the victory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And yeah, amen.